Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and a regular guest, RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Hey, hey, RJ, we're back, man. Yes, it's uh, it's been a long time, but yep. um, it was definitely worth it. Eastern Canada is uh, a beautiful place to visit. And uh, it's hard to believe I've been back at work one week now, and it feels like it's so far away. Right. But, um, if the I always feel like if the the days go super fast, but after two weeks you feel like you've been traveling for a month already, then mm-hmm. that's a super good sign. So absolutely, uh, yeah. Where all was, did you guys go? We started in Montreal, um, just me, Dolores, and the kids, and then. Uh, after five days, we had friends from Holland come over with their daughter. And then we drove to Prince Edward Island, stayed there a short week. Unfortunately, it was a bit rainy, but still fantastic, just right by the ocean, mm-hmm. walking on the on the beach. They just had a big storm last year, I think. So a lot of the beach was uh, like broken away and, and uh, Going upside down, so that actually made it really fun to uh, explore and look for crabs and that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we traveled a bit on the island, and then we drove to uh, the northern part of Nova Scotia, which is uh, the Cape Breton area. Um, the Cabot Trail is probably one of the, uh, the most known things to do there. Um, I think it's UNESCO um, mm-hmm. site. But uh, yeah, we, we had a, an awesome place that was kind of off the beaten track a bit and uh, right by an inlet uh, that was directly connected to the ocean. And uh, just a few steps down from the house, uh, there they, they had a little, uh, what do you call that, pontoon or mm-hmm. thing yeah. floating out, mm-hmm. sticking out in the river and or in the water. And uh, they had four kayaks, so we did a lot of kayaking and uh just a lot of fun, did some things in the area. And then one day he actually went kayaking and, and uh, got some fresh mussels right out of the water. And Oh, my gosh. My wife just cooked them up that same night. And that was, yeah, it was amazing. Can't get fresher than that. So No, absolutely um, not. And then after that, we drove to uh, southeast, southeastern part of uh, Nova Scotia, just south of Halifax. Uh, there's a place, Lunenburg, that's, uh, I guess quite well known as a tourist attraction we were about 20 minutes away from that and again nice house on a on a lake and just did some you know the touristy stuff uh, peggy's cove you may have heard of that and just did some driving around the area and some little ponds and um cool artsy shopping and after that it was a two-day drive back to montreal and flight back home it, it's you're... crazy you look on the map and we looked at the areas that we were going to be, and um, you're like, oh, maybe we can do this loop and that loop. And you just realized that just the driving from Montreal to PEI to Cape Breton to Lunenburg and then back was, I think, just over 5,000 kilometers already. Holy cow. So, you know, there's you know, we had a little uh, incident with the rental car. We had a flat. <laughs> then we learned that uh, rental companies take the spare uh, tire and the jack out for I don't know maybe liability or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. um, so you don't have just a flat. You're actually stuck with a car that you can't move. So we had to wait for about five hours to be towed to uh, to the airport in Halifax because that was the only uh, shop still open, and then we got a replacement. So yeah, there was there was a lot of driving that day. So we were like. Let's just stay close to the to the area, but uh, yeah, it's it's very very beautiful, um, and I always love being close to the ocean, so it was uh, definitely uh, highly recommended. And it was well, really being... nice to to hang out with uh, with our friends. I've known her since high school and uh, oh him for fifteen years at least. Yeah, and uh, we'd met their daughter online only. So well, we. we we hung out with them a long time ago, but um, mm-hmm. so it was mm-hmm. really nice to 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 see her and get to know her a bit better and and see how she 
hung out with the boys and that interaction going from yeah. shy to, you know, awkward to, you know, being close buddies at the end of the trip. So mm-hmm. it was really nice to see. That sounds like a, just a, a amazing time. Quite jealous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was and, a good uh, comment. You love being close to the ocean, so you moved to Calgary. That is that is probably one of the few downsides of uh, living in Calgary, that uh, yeah. the ocean is pretty far away. Yeah. Yes, you guys have water close by, right? Because you, you, at least I think you live pretty close to the to the lake, the reservoir. It's not the same yeah, at the all, reservoir but, is, but it's at least water. It's a five-minute bike ride away. So. Yeah. 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 You just got that. Oh, yeah, for sure. That sounds amazing. I'm quite jealous. We've just been hanging out here and still continuing to get used to life as a family of four as opposed to a family of three. Right, um, right. But, uh, but Alex is she's sleeping through the night now, so it's been it's been a great right. change. It's the Did you watch any biathlon in the summer biathlon? Oh, in the I actually breaks? watched more summer biathlon than I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> um, I watched a little bit of all of them, right? So I I watched mm. uh, uh, I watched the Blink, I watched um, uh, I V Spawn, and I watched the uh, Summer Worlds, and I watched uh, For Cobb for the first time. I'd never seen the the Mar- the Martin For Cobb Nordic Festival, so that was. A lot of fun. Won that, do you remember who won the Lucy button? Uh, that uh, I don't. Nope, couldn't tell you. Okay. All these things, and I I wrote them down, and I have them saved, and I don't have that in front of me, so I couldn't <laughs> tell you at all. I know uh, Vetla Shasta Christensen won the men's uh, for cod race, and uh, Vanessa Vogt won the the women's. Um, okay. Simone raced. She looked good. Um, Davidova came We're- in second. And then I think it was Jacqueline and McGride who were second and third for the for the men in okay. that race. That was it uh, like a pretty full field, or they uh, they it? limited? It's a pretty. I had never seen it before, but the the there are parts of the course that are just like a sidewalk, basically that they're mm. they're on, and um, so they're limited to like I think eight or nine uh, competitors. But they were all top notch. Um, for the men, I think uh, Dole was there and. Um, uh, Kinton Feomaya was there, and uh, uh, Sepola was there. I'm missing a couple others, and then mm-hmm. on the women's side, actually on the women's side, uh, Jean Monod won the the cross country race. So not the biathlon; she actually entered the cross country race and won that, which was oh, wow. actually kind of cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and I I think Tangerwald was in the race, but she didn't finish. Uh, Hauser, um. Uh, she was there. She, so, yep, they were both there. So they went third and fourth. Um, Did you hear anything about that? Uh, the whole credit card theft and nothing more than we already know. Um, co-host of uh, the uh, the French Biathlon podcast, the uh, whose name I will butcher. The Biathlon stats uh, is one of the other hosts. Anyway, Jacques. Doc Jeffries. He uh, anyway, he was there and said that uh, the crowd went just absolutely bananas when those two were fighting for third and fourth. So um, <laughs> I, I didn't ask any more questions. I don't know if it was like particularly pro one way or the other, but I think it must have just been a really interesting mm-hmm. battle and just neat to see them going head to head. Yeah, it, it looked like a fun time. I'm jealous. I wish mm-hmm. I was there. Yeah, I still have a plan to watch it back, but uh, I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. It was uh, neat, though, actually, watching it, because in the men's race, Christensen, like, his, he clearly wanted to win, and he pulled a Jacques Lane. Like, he went to the front and just pulled away in the first lap, and then really, he never let anyone get close again. But right. yeah, he, a Jacques Lane with better shooting, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So, there he, he... More consistent shooting. More consistent shooting. He went, he went yeah. to the front and stayed there. Right. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, so last time I think I watched, uh, well, what I remember from watching is that, uh, in, I think it was uh, Wiesbaden, so this mm-hmm. was probably two years ago, where um, uh, Taribo had a... Oh, and a tumble. Um, well, two tumbles because he found his binding was not working properly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing knowing how hard that is to get up from and... I don't know. It's uh, that's the one thing that really scares me about roller skiing is like making a big frontal like that. I've done it only <laughs> once, and I'd like to keep it that way. So, well, so he actually fell again. So he uh, tripped over. No the way. Mat. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so, yeah, like over the shooting line. 
like uh, into the yeah so um yeah <laughs> <laughs> poor man he, he probably shouldn't go there again um <laughs> what else um was jt boder uh, uh, no, no 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 he was not uh yeah Legride won. Um, I actually pulled up because I I had it. Um, and Roman Reese uh was in second place. Tariabo was in third, and then for the women, uh, Vitasu won. Uh, Unabidal was second, and John Mano was third. Okay. Yep. Summer Worlds not not the best fields in the world, but uh, the mm. I mean it was um it was uh the Tuli Tomingas show. Or she um, was first or second in every single race, so it's pretty oh, neat. Good for yeah. her. Yeah, it was nice to see. It was um, anyway. I I was that was probably the the, the one person who stood out the most from the racing. Hmm. Just she was faster than I'd ever seen her before. It's roller skiing, and we I actually talked about this with Bible a little bit on on Twitter, but you know, and she's you mean X. Sorry, X. I apologize. <laughs> As we talked about it, and, and just there's a there's a benefit towards people who are a little bit heavier with roller skis, and uh, she so she benefited there maybe, but it, but even regardless, you you compare her to previous summers, and she was looking much faster as well. So, uh, and she was injured what, what earlier. What's the this, benefit? Uh, I didn't ask. Oh, okay. I was thinking of uh, lose the button and and oh, I think yeah, on that I one, think, the lighter the better. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking on on a relatively flat surface, keeping the oh, okay, yeah. probably a little bit easier. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, she. I mean, comparing year over year, she was faster, uh, better shooting, and this is all she missed a couple months of training earlier this summer with shoulder surgery. So oh, okay. I'm not saying she's a different stage. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of neat. So. I'm still curious to see if in the next couple of years, if uh, there's going to be uh, a specialized group of athletes that are focusing on summer biathlon. That right. maybe you don't yeah. even see in the winter biathlon, or maybe on the oh, that'd be interesting. Uh, but that maybe but... really focus on the summer. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm looking back through my notes because uh, I did have them here. Um, Davida won the mass start. Um, Laura Kristova was uh, she was the junior women's champ of everything. She was the oh, yeah. number one. For the super sprint qualifying, number one for super sprint, number one for sprint, number one for pursuit. So it's pretty good. Where is she from? Bulgaria. Okay. Yeah. I think we've talked about her once before. Uh, yeah. The, the name, yeah. Was yeah. So, yeah. It was, it was fun. It's, it was not a whole lot going on here. Uh, so it was fun to have a little bit of a distraction. Um, mm-hmm. no, no vacations for us with the little ones. Um, just yeah. hanging out and avoiding the hurricanes. Catching a breath. Yeah, actually, it was kind of nice just to, to not be going anywhere Catching and just hanging sleep. out. Yeah, the last month or so, last couple weeks. But that's yeah, been good. Yeah. So yeah, and then uh, last week, yeah, we had a an awesome, awesome guest. Yeah, that I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing in uh, in Camor. If people want to listen to that, uh, that's episode sixty, um, where I. Had a brief, maybe ten minute interview with uh, Claire Egan. Mostly, I think that was about her role in the IBU, and um, that led to uh, a promise, I think, between you and her on, mm-hmm. well, at the time, Twitter or Instagram, probably, um, to do a follow up recording. And uh, last week, we were lucky enough to do so. Did we ever? So, um, a lot of people that we had spoken with, you know, when we asked for, you know. Who would they recommend that we interview next? And and uh, Claire Egan's name had come up time and time again, and mm-hmm. and uh, so you know we we got her on and we spoke with her and then we spoke with her some more and some more. And I think the full <laughs> recording was two hours and seventeen minutes. So yeah. um, this is obviously going to be broken up in multiple. It's going to be three different uh, three different segments. Um, yeah. And uh, so this part, uh, the first part is mostly going to be focused on her personal biography um, and uh, sort of her, her getting into biathlon. And, and it's, it's an interesting story. I think that for North American biathletes, they are pretty interesting stories because there's no direct real pipeline right. into biathlon, right? There's always 
the, you know, usually a skiing background and then there's a change made somewhere. But, um, well, so just, really how she got into shooting is, uh, is quite yeah. interesting too. Sure is. So, yes. And, that, and that's Absolutely. definitely, uh, you know, compared to Europeans, we haven't really, um, talked to Norwegians, but I can only imagine that they start shooting when they're quite young with uh, maybe air rifles or the, uh, the electronic mm-hmm. uh, rifles already. Yeah, in North America, you just hear that a lot that cross country skiing and then they one way or another get, get involved with, uh, biathlon and shooting. So yeah, absolutely pretty cool. I, I just realized that she's probably one of the first, uh, people we interviewed that we did not ask who we should interview next. We didn't. You're right. I think we got, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you might notice the in... one person that would not say Claire Egan. <laughs> yeah. When we get to the end of uh, end of part three, you might notice that things got a little off off the rails. So, um, <laughs> I think we we're all a little, a little tired by that point. Uh, so, but I don't think she was tired. No, I think I'm you're right. right. I think that she was right because when she was going out to go do a workout, she was right. She would have yeah. kept on going. Yeah, yeah. No, that it was so. I it asked was a lot her. Of fun. I asked her at one point. Um, <laughs> so funny. I asked her at one point. You know, if she had a, a time with. At, which she needed to be done. <laughs> She's indicated she didn't have a whole lot going on uh, on that <laughs> on that particular Wednesday. So that was uh, it was it was really nice. On in all honesty, it was it was great to have that much time uh, to to explore a lot of topics. But like I said, yeah. part one, which you guys are about to hear, uh, was mostly about her personal background. Yeah, no, it should be a lot of fun. So uh, you want to leave it at that? And let's do it. Let people listen to part one. Enjoy. Yeah, have fun. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, thanks for having me on. Oh, we are thrilled. Seriously, I think I might have actually texted you this, but uh, or whatever, calling it Twitter, DM'd, whatever. But I know, oh my gosh, I'm sorry that we've just been going back and forth on Twitter. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> like that's, but um, I, you know, it's just uh, everybody we've asked is like who else should we have on the podcast? And pretty much everybody says Claire Egan. So, oh, really? uh, okay. Yeah. It is wow. incredible. So Pressure's on. pressure no is pressure. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little mixed messages, but, um, <laughs> yeah, no. So, uh, we, we are, we're thrilled. And, um, on a personal note, uh, I think I had shared this with, with, I think everybody, but, um, yeah, my daughter's middle name is Claire. I and know. I think that's so cool. Yeah. So, so in in all honesty, like I, I wanted to work in a uh, a biathlon name just because I'm a fan, right? I think. And um, <laughs> as an American, there's no better name. So, thank um, you. Yeah. So, so that's you are a uh, already a role model. She's four months old, but that's uh, really an honor. And yeah. where are you based, Ernie? We are in Florida, so we're just a little bit north of Orlando. So the hurricane okay. just scooted by us. So we got lucky. Um, you know, a little bit of wind and rain, but you know, we, we really got lucky this time. Okay. And what about you, RJ? I'm in Calgary. Okay. So, yeah, just uh, an hour north of, uh, or uh, east of the Nordic Center, so. Mm-hmm. And then, Claire, you're in Lake Placid right now? Yep. So, two classic winter sports locations and one not. Yeah, I am sort of curious about the Orlando thing. Not, this is <laughs> not, uh, not... Where I started, nor where I will be ending up. I actually used to live, um, I don't know if you are familiar with it, but Sackett's Harbor, um, which no. is just like 45 minutes, or it's right on the, the lake near Watertown. Oh, okay. Like way up there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that is, uh, I grew up in North Carolina, but used to live up in, in way, way upstate New York. I, okay. I say upstate New York and everyone thinks like The Albany. cat skills. Yeah. yeah and no. I'm like, no, no, I'm way up there. <laughs> yeah. The same thing happens to me. Yep. So. Yeah, everyone thinks New York, and they think New York City, just a big state. Mm-hmm. So, as I was saying, everybody uh, has been has been demanding that we that we talk Who is to everybody. <laughs> so, in all honesty, so we at the end, every time we've interviewed somebody, at the end, we say, "Who else would you recommend?" And mm-hmm. uh, everybody from like Baba Mandika to uh, Emma Lunder, who we just had on a couple uh, was it a month ago. Okay. Um, whom else uh, mentioned? Seriously, it's been like six or seven people, <laughs> oh, and they've all said Claire Egan. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, it it only makes sense. We're finally uh finally getting you on. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad to to be on. Um, so I in doing research for this, um, you have only given maybe like 127 interviews over the last uh, decade or so. 
Um, so I think a lot of people at this point kind of know your history, but just for anybody who doesn't, do you want to give like the, the Cliff's Notes version? Sure. I am originally from Cape Elizabeth, Maine. It's just outside of Portland. I grew up playing several sports. I ran cross country and, and did track and field as well. And I started cross country skiing in middle school um, on my school team. Um, I continued all of those sports through high school and college. And it wasn't until after college that uh, I was competing full-time um, professionally in cross-country skiing as a member of the Craftsbury Green Racing Project, a club based in Vermont, um, when I started doing biathlon. Um, so I, I was learning to shoot for the first time, although I was already an elite cross-country skier. And within a, a year or so of of starting to pick up biathlon, I was I was invited to train with the U.S. Biathlon National Team and um, never looked back. I did my Biathlon World Cup debut in 2015 and had a nice long career through the end of the 2022 season, including two Olympics um, in, in Pyeongchang and uh, Beijing, and uh, I think six world championships. Um, and now I retired um, after 2022, um, and I'm <laughs> doing a lot of random stuff, um, but always missing biathlon. So but should you, maybe you should say retired as an athlete. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, going back to, to, you mentioned that you competed in college, but, uh, so this comes from, I don't know if you run your website, the WordPress site, if that was you that was running it, but on there, it mentioned mm -hmm. that you ran cross country track and cross country skiing while you're Wellesley. Yeah. So I did, I did three sports throughout oh. college. Um, I did my undergrad at Wellesley College, which is a small women's college in Massachusetts, Division Three. Um, and there I ran varsity cross country in the fall, track in the spring, and I started a club ski team. So it was very uh, casual from an athletic side, um, although it was pretty um, a pretty heavy commitment on the organizational side. I was basically acting as the coach and team manager and athlete on the ski team. Um, but that was a really, really fun way to stay involved with the sport of skiing while I was in college. And much to my pride, um, the Wellesley ski team is still going strong today. Cool. Um, but then I went... I did a year of graduate school at the University mm -hmm. of New Hampshire, and I did compete Division One in all those three sports for them for one year. And that was really intense, um, but it, an absolutely awesome experience. Um, and I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to do that. Was there ever a time during the school year which you were not actively competing in one of those sports? Because I think they just kind of move one no, right I mean, into the other. They blend into one another. I, I was pretty strict about trying to take a week off between them. That was something I did in high school too. Um, so, you know, my cross country running season would end and probably the ski team would have already started doing dry land practices during cross country season. Um, but I would try to take a week off before I really got involved. Um, I mean, so it was a very different kind of training and competition schedule relative to what a lot of elite cross-country skiers and biathletes uh, are used to because most of them are focused on skiing from a younger age, whereas mm -hmm. I was focused on skiing starting after graduate school. So I was 23. Um, and that's really when I started um, doing summer training, because if you're competing mm -hmm. three seasons, you, yeah. you really do need some downtime. And so the summer was my downtime um, up through college. But then you know, when I started training full-time for cross-country skiing, really um, summer is probably the most intense time in terms of workload. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a really big change. And like roller skiing was almost completely new to me. So um, yeah, that that was a big difference in my training trajectory relative to a lot of cross-country skiers and athletes. 
When you were casually starting in cross-country skiing, were you still pretty competitive already? As most top athletes seem to have that yeah, uh, yeah. DNA. Yeah, yeah. So I was a good high school cross-country skier, um, you know, a main state champion, and competed twice at the junior nationals in cross-country skiing hmm. um, as a high school senior and a college freshman. And then um, I competed at NCAAs for cross-country skiing, both as a senior at Wellesley as an independent athlete, as well as um, during my master's degree year at UNH um, with UNH ski team. Um, and then with Craftsbury, yeah, I was not um, I was not ever on the bubble of making the national team for those two years that I was um, mm -hmm. competing, but I was sort of just outside. I mean, I had some um, super tour podiums, the super tour, of course, being the the domestic top level mm -hmm. circuit mm -hmm. for cross country um, and, you know, top like many top 15 U.S. nationals results. Okay. Um, that being said, I got way faster at skiing later in my biathlon training, um, than I, mm. you know, way better than I was when I was 23. I was better when I was 33 mm. than I was 23. So, um, my best skiing I did as a biathlete. Huh. And when did you switch a hundred percent to skate skiing? Was that strictly because of biathlon or did you always have a preference for skate over classic? Uh, I did or? not have a preference for skate skiing. In fact, if anything, I had a preference um, for classic skiing. Um, but I did have uh, my, my results were fairly balanced. I would say as a cross country skier. Um, and then, yeah. So when I, when I started competing full-time in biathlon, of course, all of our races are skate, but I do think it's a common misconception that people have about biathletes that we don't cross country ski or we don't right. classic ski. Um, right. that, I mean, I did classic skiing once or twice a week throughout my career. Um, it was mostly on as a sort of easier recovery type mm -hmm. of workout um and less you know i did way fewer classic interval sessions um right. when i was training for baffon because of course all of our races are our skate techniques so our our intensity was designed to mimic those races and so we did our high intensity workouts mostly skating but that doesn't mean that we didn't classic ski i i still love classic skiing and did so regularly throughout my career okay and when did you, did you ever touch a rifle before you touched a biathlon rifle? Um, I did, but <laughs> I did riflery at summer camp, um, when I was, you know, 11 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's it. So, I mean, really, uh, it was my first, um, experience my first significant experience of any kind with a, with a firearm. Right. Um, I did not have a background in, in any other shooting sports or hunting or anything like that. Um, so it was really, uh, it felt like starting from scratch and, and learning a totally new skill. What was the impetus for starting to shoot? Were you just kind of bored with cross country skiing or you saw an opening for somewhere where you could compete at a higher level or what was it? Um, really, I, I, the opportunity fell into my lap. I was training in Craftsbury, um, and, and people who follow the sport closely may know that Craftsbury now has a, a robust biathlon program with mm -hmm. its own residential coach and athletes. Um, however, when I was there in 2011 and 12, there was not a dedicated biathlon program. There was only the cross country ski team. Um, however, my U.S. biathlon teammate, Sean Doherty, um, was mm. training in Craftsbury as a junior. He would sometimes come over from New Hampshire, where he's from, and he would train in Craftsbury with Algis Shalna, who's a um, U.S. biathlon regional development coach. And so Algis was around Craftsbury um, and offered to teach me how to shoot, just kind of um, out of the blue. And he's an Olympic gold medalist in biathlon. And I, I really do think that if any 
uh, if anyone is ever in a situation where the Olympic, by, you know, an Olympic gold medalist says, I'll teach you how to do my sport that you should say yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, that's how I did my first few lessons. Um, there was also this other element, which was that Susan Dunkley, of course, um, you know, one of the, the best female biathlete of all time from the U S mm-hmm. um, and, and my, and another teammate of mine, Hannah Dreisagacker, another U uh, S Olympic biathlete, they were both based in Craftsbury training at that time. So they were, um, they were kind of going back and forth between the, between the U.S. Biathlon national team camps in Lake Placid and then doing some home training in Craftsbury. They're both from Craftsbury or close by. Um, and so they were around training and um, I would I would do some ski training with them. Of course, I wasn't shooting yet, but I would do ski training with them. And then all winter, I was seeing them go off and do World Cups and, you know, the 2014 Olympics. And certainly that did um that was the first time really in my life where I saw, okay, here's people that I'm training with. Like I can do the same training as them. And and I really knew for sure um that if they if they could do it, I could do it. And so that mm-hmm. was that was very motivating. Um but until I had someone hand me a rifle and say, I will teach you how to do this. Somehow it didn't compute that, um, that opportunity was, was real for me, even though I believed that I was capable of it. It's pretty remarkable to have somebody like that. Just be like, Hey, I can, I can make you an Olympic athlete though. I think that's uh, a, <laughs> right. I mean, it had to be just like a really, I don't even know what it was like to hear those words. I'm, I'm you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think for Algus, he was, I mean, he was constantly coming around Craftsbury and seeing these elite cross-country skiers uh, like me and probably kind of always offering to teach people. I don't know that he picked me out, you know, as opposed to the other elite skiers that were there. Um, and and even, and and I don't know that he, when he offered to teach me some lessons, I don't, I don't know what he thought might come of it. I mean, I remember not thinking anything of it really just that it maybe was a few lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we're both really happy, um, that it did end up proceeding the way it did with, you know, a a 10 year career. No kidding. 10 year career. You mentioned going to the Olympics twice, world championships six times. Um, I think your best finish was the, it was the third place in Oslo, correct? Yep. And then even in your last year, you still had a fourth place finish in Anholt. So you were still, you know, still doing awesome. Um, So I think, yeah, I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really, I mean, I tell young athletes, um, you know, college athletes who maybe some people don't think of college athletes as young. That's often the end of people's athletic careers. But when I was a college athlete, I had no clue no clue that I would become an Olympian in a sport that I wasn't even doing at that time. So really, um, you know, there's, um, you just never know where your life is going to, is going to bring you. That was one of my biggest takeaways from this whole, this whole episode. No kidding. What did you ever, I was going to say, it's just sort of a journey of like, you just sort of, you're, you're doing this thing and then it leads to something else. And it's, it's just, you know, who knew, right? It's just yep. like one. It, literally, you only can see the path when you look at it from the end. Yeah. Did you uh, watch biathlon, or was that kind of on your radar as a sport to look at on the Olympics? That kind of definitely thing, not. Definitely hmm. not. Um, I I will say I didn't even watch cross country skiing, even though I was doing it. Um, I don't. I didn't even have awareness of the existence of the World Cup in either. Sport biathlon or cross country mm. until I was and until I was training professionally in Craftsbury. I didn't, oh, uh, yeah. it's, it's, that is one of the crazier things for me to think about that somehow I was, I was doing this sport at such a high level where I was almost in the running to qualify for those events, but I didn't even know that those events existed. Um, <laughs> and that's, I think something that has changed a little bit, although I'm, it's hard for me to know because I'm so entrenched in the world that I don't 
have a good perspective of what it's like to be outside of that world. But I do think that at least on the cross country skiing side of things, um, that sport certainly seems to has have grown both from a recreational standpoint, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, Mm -hmm. people watching professional um, athletes. Um, You know, we've seen Jesse Diggins and, and Keegan Randall win medals. We've seen Rosie Brennan have a fourth and a sixth. I mean, the U.S. women's team certainly being one of the strongest in the world. The tickets for the Minnesota World Cup coming up in you know a few months, selling out in 24 hours. Um, there's certainly been growth there. And I think people are aware that those top athletes compete outside of the Olympics in the World mm-hmm. Cup, I think. Um mm-hmm. Whether people, I mean, biathlon is just sort of a step behind cross-country skiing in terms of that popularity. Um, but I think younger, young biathletes are more aware of it now, perhaps, than I was. Right. Um, right. But it's still certainly, as you know, as fans of this unique sport, it's um, very much in the shadows here in the U.S. Yeah, it's one of those frustrating things. And, and, and you probably ran into this, but... I think that people in Europe grow up and they just know about biathlon or they know about cross-country skiing. But growing up here, I mean, you and I were actually exactly the same age. So we, um, you would see it at the Olympics and then not hear about it for four years. And then mm-hmm. there would be these athletes again at the Olympics. And you'd kind of be like, oh, that's kind of neat. You know, this person who's competing in biathlon, just no idea that there was actually a, a professional yeah. level of biathlon that was going mm-hmm. on. Yeah, um, very, a very intense one. I mean, it's yes, it's yes, like 35 yeah. competitions all, all winter. Um, and it's definitely the case that people in, I don't want to say all of Europe, but in, in the sort of more snowy or mountainous places in Europe, um, of, people definitely know about it. And um, if, you know, for anyone who's traveled to those areas, you just use, it just is on TV in the same way that, you know, basketball is on TV mm-hmm. in the winter in the US. So if you're, you know, in the airport or at a pub, or you're just turning on the TV in your living room, like that's what's on is biathlon. Um, so that's a totally different um, paradigm than what we have here in the yeah. US in terms well, as of far as I know, coverage. <laughs> Jordan, I think the last season was the first season you could stream for free in the US, right? Yeah. No, yeah. That, that's not true. Hold on. My, oh, okay. Look. So... Biathlon was actually, uh, for a long time, it was streamed live. Um, It could be streamed live Mm -hmm. for free in the U.S. And then there was, a, I think, two years where um, the Olympic Channel bought the U.S. rights Mm -hmm. for it. And so then it was only shown on, you know, NBC and Olympic channels. Um, Okay. And it, you couldn't get the live stream for free in the U.S., but now it's back. It's gone back right. to being free. So um, that's that's how that went. Well, and hmm. not not this most recent season, but your last season was sort of this when it went to Peacock, and it sort of became right. It was like it's almost impossible to 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 get to it, right? And that was really frustrating. But yes, um, you had but, to. I mean, right? You had to have a VPN or get, yeah in order to access the live streaming from outside was, US, or you yeah. had to buy Peacock. And from what I understand, the coverage wasn't as good. So I think for, for diehard biathlon fans, it's really nice that the live, the free live stream is, right. is back available because it's the top, you know, it's the top coverage. It's the international mm-hmm. broadcast coverage. Um, there was some benefit certainly to having the Olympic channel mm-hmm. um, broadcasting on channels like Peacock or, you know, NBC sports, just because it, you know, every once in a while, somebody would send me a, a message like I'm at the gym and they're playing, there's bathlon on TV because a place like a gym just would have the Olympic channel mm-hmm. on. Right. And so maybe, maybe you'd get, you know, some new viewers who wouldn't otherwise yeah. know where right. to f- access that <laughs> live stream link. Um, but definitely for people who, uh, watch every weekend it's nice to have that free live stream if you know where to find it um stepping back just a minute so we mentioned all of the things that you did do you have any personal highlights (laughs) 
uh, from your oh, career yeah. in biathlon <laughs> that are not, that are not like those, those, like, you know, when they, when they list off, you know, your top finishes, but just other, other things that you would think of. Yeah. Um, so in addition to those top finishes, which you already mentioned, which were both definitely highlights, um, I, I did a perfect race at the 2019 world championships in Östersund, Sweden in the women's relay. Um, and what I mean by perfect race is I hit all my targets and I tagged in first. Um, I was, and I, and I, I was the second leg. So Susan went first. Um, she tagged me. I don't remember, but you know, first it wasn't first, but maybe second or third, um, which she did, <laughs> as you know, from watching very frequently. Um, she was an amazing teammate and athlete and, and relay starter. Um, but then, yeah, I did, I did perfect shooting and I had, I think the fastest heat time for my leg as well, or thereabouts. Um, and yeah, and tagged in first at the world championships. Um, that, that was really exciting. And the, the whole race was very exciting. Um, my, our teammate who went third, Joanne Reed kept us there in podium contention. Um, and our anchor leg, Emily Dreisagacker went through the seventh shooting also in podium contention. And then, and, and she did well. Um, we just got passed on her last leg and I think we still finished like eighth, which was, um, still, you know, a top, top finish for us, Mm -hmm. um, to the point where other countries were, you know, coming up and congratulating us on our top 10 at world champs. Um, so, uh, you know, and there's 20, 25 teams or whatever in the race. That Mm -hmm. was, that was a really cool day. Um, for, you know, awesome performance for me personally, and just cool to see the potential of our team. Um, kind of on a, a, another relay performance that was actually bad for me personally was, but just our top relay performance ever, um, you know, since like the nineties, uh, was when we were fifth, um, in 2022 in on in the women's relay. Um, and I, I really, I mean, we were just, I think 20 seconds off the podium or something like that after over an hour of racing. Um, and I think I was actually, I'm fairly confident that I was the weakest link that day. I did not shoot well. Um, and I really wish I had, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but just cool to be part of that really performance. Um, another, those are two performances for me that were um, exciting, um, that I'm proud of. I mean, there's, there's others as well. Um, but, but one thing that I also, one really big highlight that comes to mind that is not about me, um, was when Susan Dunkley finished, uh, second, got a silver medal at the world championships in Antolz in, um, 2020, right before, um, the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that was just, I felt like I won that medal. Like mm. that's how happy I was for Susan, um, how proud I was of the work that she had done and of, of really the work we did together. Um, that, you know, of course she earned it a hundred percent by herself, but as a close teammate, I really felt like I, I shared that medal, you know, lived it vicariously through her. And so I have all of the pride, um, of that moment that I think she probably has. So that's also definitely a highlight. Can I mention something that, that I don't know if this will stand out for you, but for me watching your career, uh, the Mm -hmm. single mixed relay at the Beijing Olympics, which was like these brutal conditions. It was windy. It was freezing cold. I'm trying to remember this at all. So, um, so I'm sorry, there is no single mixed relay in the Olympics, but I think you're the mixed no, no, relay. Sorry, not single mix, mixed relay, yes, mixed relay, excuse mixed me, relay. excuse me. Yes, I mean, yeah, definitely yeah. for me, one of my best performances. Yeah. 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 I apologize. Yeah. No, I, I don't know why I said single mix, but I was no, like, I was okay. picturing it. I was it. Yeah. just trying to think, I was like, was I in that? No. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The mixed relay at the Beijing Olympics was awesome. Um, it was definitely my favorite race of the Olympics. The Olympics were very, very tough for me. Um, 
both times and uh just in all ways sort of like physically emotionally um but at both olympics i did have one race that i was really happy with and that was then in beijing it was definitely the mixed relay i mean again another relay performance that we were really really in it in podium contention till the very end um and you know i like how to sprint finish and passed a Norwegian in my leg <laughs> and tagged in third or fourth <laughs> or something. So that always feels good. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, you know, just me sitting at home at whatever it was, four o'clock in the morning, four thirty in the morning. It was pretty cool to see. So it certainly Thank got you. me, certainly got Thank me pretty you. excited. Um, so now you have, you have retired as an athlete. You're still <laughs> yeah. wildly involved, uh, with the IBU though. I mean, uh, RJ interviewed you, um and canmore when you were there for the ibu cup um Mm -hmm. and you guys talked about a lot of the things that that you were doing but but just that that weekend alone like you were helping to coach the ukrainian team you were helping out with the american team you were there as a ibu like the the board member i mean like so you were wearing a lot of hats that weekend so kind of what are you doing what is your role right now with the ibu because you're you seem i don't even know if you have an official title beyond you're a member of the of the board, like the 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 athlete the athlete council, but then also, you know, you seem to be doing more than just that. Okay, well, <laughs> um, I will just say we were. I was helping the Estonian team. I would love to help the Ukrainians as well, but um, look at this. At that I'm, time just, I was... I'm dropping incorrect facts left no, and no, right. No, 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 so, no. That's yeah. okay. I just I don't even know <laughs> if they were there, so I just don't want it to be yeah. confusing for people who are listening. Um, but yes, I was busy in Canmore. Um. So officially, my roles with IBU are that I'm the chair of its athletes committee. Um, I'm in my second term doing that. I was elected originally in 2018 and then reelected in 2022. Um, I'm also in that position as the chair of the athletes committee. I serve on the executive board of the IBU, which is the highest decision making body in the organization. Um, that role for the athlete representative on the board did not exist um in 2018 when i was first elected it was um it was the, the our big push as an athletes committee um in in that first year that i was on it um to get that to get that position created on the board so that we could have athlete representation there and um thankfully the board supported that the IBU congress supported that and now there is that permanent position in the IBU executive board for the chair of the athletes committee. So that's, I'm currently serving in it, but um, when I, I'm planning to step down um, next spring um, in my, from my role on the Mm -hmm. athletes committee and, and therefore also from the board and some, you know, a new athlete will do it. And um, I'm sort of, uh, I'm looking forward to, um, and a little bit anxious about that transition, but it's going to be really good for, um, the athletes and for the organization to have, you know, to really start that process and see that continuity. Like I'm the only person that's ever done it so far. So it will be good to, um, make that transition happen. Um, so those are, those are my roles. Um, I, it does mean that I'm heavily involved in the organization. I mean, I'm going, um, I'm flying a week from yesterday to Italy for, um, my next board meeting. So I'm, you know, I'm traveling to Europe quite frequently for board meetings. Um, occasionally I'm at events representing the IBU. Um, and I continue to work with athletes committee members. Um, the other members are Ingrid Tendervold of Norway, Johannes Kuhn of Germany and Sebastian Samuelson of Sweden. Um, and to, to liaise with the greater athlete community. Um, we created a network of athlete of, of team representatives from, um, I think we've got over 45 active nations with team representatives that I'm in contact with. Um, they help us communicate with their athletes. Plus we have the whole, you know, email list of athletes. I sent a newsletter yesterday. So, um, it's, um, by no means a, a full-time job. It's not even really a part-time job and and it's all volunteer but um it's it's very um it's something i'm very engaged with and it's it really was something that i think 
gave me energy throughout my last four years as an athlete to have, sort of have that something else going on that wasn't just about me and my career. It was also mm -hmm. about the sort of sport in general and the greater athlete community. So when you when you graduate off the uh, you know off of the off of the committees there, um, I guess not graduate, but you know stepping down. <laughs> yeah. What's next? Are you going to continue with the IBU? I mean, it's going to be hard to not see you with biathlon, but I don't know. I'm. I do think. So I'm like my term technically goes until 2026, but I'm. I'm excuse me. I'm stepping down in part to facilitate um, a new election system where we'll have staggered elections. So. Mm -hmm. I'm stepping down and we're actually going to elect two new people. So then we'll have, a, you know, mm -hmm. a three to sort of yep. three people elected during the Olympic year and then two people elected two years later and everyone's serving a four-year term. So it's a staggered election. Um, I, I definitely, I, I think I'll probably have a little break <laughs> yeah. from um, any sort of official role within IBU, but you know, Bathon at this point was a really important part of my life. And um, I would like to stay involved somehow. Um, I remain involved in sport in general um, through, I mean, I have one more year, you know, or another, mm -hmm. I'll have one more year on the WADA Athletes Committee of the World Anti-Doping Agency. I'm also on their um, their athlete council. And so once I step down from IBU in the spring, I'll still have one more year with WADA. Um, I have been doing some volunteer coaching with US Bathon, um, and I don't know if there's more, um, coaching in my future. We'll see, but I, I certainly, yeah, it's hard to imagine not being involved in some formal way with Biathlon. Um, of course I'll always informally be involved as a fan, but I, I don't, I just don't know what that, um, next form of involvement is going to look like. Um, is, is there a role like, uh, I'm always thinking it would be good and maybe that's already there, but because it's so European based that it would be good to have representatives from North America, from Asia that make sure that that continuation of support is there and then, and, and mm -hmm. that there's an input from the quote unquote smaller nations yeah it's a really important aspect of governance um that you know the, that like you said the representation of the smaller nations um right now uh i'm the only board member who is not european um mm -hmm. for, for the 2022 to 2026 board so when i step down um you know in next spring and spring of 2024 um it is possible depending on who the new athlete representative and the board will be that there will be no no one in the board there will there won't be anyone in the board who's um from outside of europe and that i do think is you know not ideal um in mm -hmm. our previous board from 2018 to 2022 there was in addition to me there was another american max cobb who was mm -hmm. you know elected um by the IBU Congress as a, a representative of the, um, of the U S Biathlon association. Um, mm -hmm. there was also a Canadian Jim Caribri representing Canadian Biathlon. So, um, hopefully going forward, we will continue to see representatives of, of national federations, large and small, you know, European, non-European running for and being elected to those board positions. Um, and that's, you know, that's the, it's the job of each national federation to put forward good candidates and the job of the Congress to elect the best candidates. So um, we'll see. <laughs> but it is really important. I, I kept thinking when we were talking to Emma Lunder uh, about a month ago that she would be a a good she would be uh, awesome member of yeah. the committee. The, the yeah, she committee. would be great. I should encourage her to run. Um, Emma is one of my best bath on friends. Um, she's really, really bright, super organized, kind, um, you know, strong integrity. Like she has definitely what it takes to be a great mm. contributor. Um, 
on the athletes committee, or, you know, I think one thing that we're also trying to encourage now in IBU is this transition from athletes, um, especially female athletes, um, into leadership roles in their national federations after retirement. So it's, it's like quite common for male athletes to transition into coaching roles or, you know, um, official or technical roles or Mm -hmm. leadership roles in like political leadership roles in their, in their federation governance. And it's relatively uncommon for women to do that. So IBU has um, been putting significant attention and resources towards um, education programs, mentorship programs, um, and, and even some um, like, quota requirements, gender balance requirements to influence that change in biathlon that will get um, hopefully um, more athletes and in particular more female athletes who who retire and then continue to stay involved in the sport so we don't just like hemorrhage that knowledge. I mean, the, the, the top athletes in our sport really are the you know, the future leaders and we want to keep all of their talent and skills in the sport if we can. And we shouldn't just limit that to, to retiring male athletes, but we want to include women too. So, um, Emma would be a great candidate for any of those roles. Um, you know, she wouldn't have to just be an athlete committee representative. She could run for the executive board as a representative of Biathlon Canada, you know, um, we've seen now a lot of retiring athletes, um, take part in these programs and become technical delegates. Like in the U.S., um, Sarah Studebaker-Hall has done that, and now she's mm-hmm. um, serving on the IBU technical committee as well, which um, it is the body that makes all of the sport role decisions. So it's really an important group. Um, so... Yeah, I I'm glad that there's all these different ways to stay in biathlon are becoming increasingly available to people from around the world and from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot as a lot of time with you know when people are leaving something and they sort of like give their vision, their goals for what they would want to see. Do you have anything like that for the IBU? Like what uh, what would be your you know the like the the biggest improvements or biggest, uh, you know, evolutionary points that you could see for the IBU going forward or things that points of emphasis for them? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm happy to say that in general, I think the IBU is in a pretty good place. I'm, that was absolutely not the case. Um, when I was elected in 2018, when it was like a complete disaster with, you know, the former president who's now been, um, charged with aggravated corruption in the Norwegian legal system. Um, I mean, really just dark times um, at IBU. And so I am, like I said, I'm very, very pleased with the transition and the progress that has been made um, over the last five years. Um, And I think the direction is really positive. I... I mean, for me, I, I, the one thing that I really hope I can, um, achieve through my legacy is the, the continuity of a strong athlete voice. Um, we have one right now and I've been leading that charge for the last five years since I've been in that place, but it, to me that it doesn't matter if I've done that for five years, what matters is, can we, can we keep it up? Can, can, mm-hmm. can the next person do it? And I think if, if I and my committee members, if we're doing a good job, it will, the result will be that the next group is also active, engaged, doing it and doing a good job. Um, otherwise our work is going to go to waste. <laughs> so right. that is um, my really, my my major goal for the next nine months is to ensure that I've set up the systems to, to set my successor up for success. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Educate. Like when I came in, there was no onboarding. There was no education about how everything works. I mean, I had, it took me years to understand the election cycles and the who, like who's 
elected politically versus who's employed by IBU. What are the different jobs? How decisions are made? I didn't understand any of that. And so um, I spent quite a bit of time this spring (laughs) setting up, putting together (laughs) that onboarding guide. And um, that'll be a big project for me in the next nine months. Was the information not available or was it that it was just not there? It was kind of, you know. Um, Yeah, mostly. Well, yeah, good question. I mean, there definitely was no onboarding process, um, but that is in part because there the athletes committee wasn't really doing anything. It existed, but they didn't have a. They existed, and they they in especially in the last few years leading up to twenty eighteen, they had been quite active um, in trying to promote. Uh, <laughs> regime change for lack of a better term in IBU. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did not have any formal role or formal voice. Like there was no, there was, now we have an athlete representative in the technical committee that didn't exist. We have an athlete representative in the board that didn't exist. So there was no, like athletes were not involved in voting or decision-making in any way. Right. Um, and, and I think, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't a significant part of the IBU's decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's in part why there was no onboarding because there wasn't really information to give them about their responsibilities because they didn't have responsibilities. Um, but also, I mean, we were elected in March and the whole headquarters was raided by police in April. So it was just a time of upheaval. Um, <laughs> and so, like I said, my, I think what I, my hope, you know, what my legacy can be with this organization Mm -hmm. is that the, the strong athlete voice that we have implemented. And I say, we, I mean, it's not just been, I, it's been the athletes committee and the, um, both elected and employed leaders at IBU who have worked to make this part of the organization, like they want it to. Um, and we want to make sure that continues. Um, and so that's that's something that I hope for for the organization. I also would love to see the commercial success of IBU, um, which is you know huge in Europe. I would love to see that expand and grow. Um, you know, I think the U.S. is a perfect market for biathlon. I'm just waiting for the the drive to survive style Netflix series focusing mm-hmm. on behind the scenes of biathlon <laughs> yeah. to get the sport off the ground in the U.S. Um, I mean, those are, that's like my, my, uh, dream bath on like mm-hmm. fantasy mm-hmm. is that we have a drive to, we have a behind the scenes bath on Netflix series. Yeah, and yeah. then suddenly bath on is like the top winter sport in the U S. Um, so what I'm hearing is, <laughs> but is I, that we, I don't know if I'll have any impact on that one. What I was going to say is what I'm hearing is we need to get everybody organized in a, uh, email writing social media campaign for Netflix to get this organized. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then yeah, we'll make you yeah, the maybe producer. That's the right method. I don't even know where to start, um, with that, but I know that all Bathlon fans are, I mean, the thing is, it's just, it's, it's exactly like F1. F1 was only popular in Europe, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. They did, they created the TV series for European audiences who they knew would watch it and love it. Mm-hmm. The same thing could be done by about Bathlon with, you know, it's not a risk. It's like they know this is going to be popular. It already yeah. is. And then if American audiences choose to watch it, which I think they would, it's just an added massive marketing opening. Um, so. Yeah, I do feel I though that cool. the that that Netflix series for Formula One was kind of written for American audience, okay. even though they knew it would be watched by European audience. But um, yeah, they were there's definitely a bit of more entertainment and drama involved, which I think is more uh-huh. for the North American market. But yeah, um, the drama, I know. So I I think uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm this is not it's not like my focus for the future of that view, but I do think that in general. Uh, the um i mean athletes biathlon athletes who are really the people that i care about um Mm -hmm. if they can make better livings you know if they if more athletes can be involved and have it be a financial financially viable option that's 
great. And in, in order for that to happen, we need to continue to build on the great commercial success that we already have in Europe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's an awesome idea. I had never considered it, but now that I have, like, I think this would be incredible. <laughs> but you so want to watch it, right? You want to know what's going on yeah. behind the scenes. So, I know. Right. So Drive to Survive, they focus on just a handful of athletes, right? So if you had to pick like five that you would say that the biathlon show has to have on it, who would it be? Oh, gosh. I'm putting you on the spot now. Yeah. You are. Um, I would put both Dorothea Vierer and Lisa Vitozzi on it. I would put both Julia Simon and Justine Brezat on it. <laughs> well, I think you have to now. <laughs> speaking of speaking <laughs> of drama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um uh gosh there's just so many great personalities no i can't i can't decide i can't decide um that's a that's a good i mean i would put ingrid i would put my committee members ingrid and sebastian on it um from from norway Mm -hmm. and sweden Mm -hmm. um i think they're ready for tv (laughs) um I mean, I, unfortunately, Martin Forcada has retired, because, but I think he would be really yeah. the ideal person to have on it. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe one of the Bows could, could uh, you know, stand in for his kind of swagger. Um, there's just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's Should too many. Probably get Eric Lesser back on I would too. put Simon Ader on it. Because yes. who doesn't want to cheer for that guy? Yeah, um, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, I'm a bi- I'm a big biathlon fan, and that's what I learned this last winter in my <laughs> first year of retirement. And so there's, I mean, there's no one that I don't really cheer for and get excited about doing well. Um, and and I would love to know more about all of them. So, yeah. um, how much time do you have? Oh, I have a lot of time. Oh, great. <laughs> so the way I was asking, cause I've got a couple heavy questions. Okay. I've got a couple heavy questions and, and if you don't feel comfortable answering them, feel free to say no, thanks. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I'm asking you these as a biathlon fan okay. with some of your, your, your experience sort of as a, as a, as an athlete and as, you know, with IMG, but, uh, 